0: Backstage Pass Radio is now a global podcast heard in 70 countries around the world. Our newly formed partnership with Signad Outdoor has us seeing great traction in Texas and Louisiana. Since Signad's beginnings in 1964, this family-owned and operated advertising company has become the largest independently held billboard company in Texas today. SignAd prides itself on unbeatable service and turnaround time. Let their experienced design team create the perfect advertisement to showcase your business. Contact SignAd today at 713 861 6013. And also make sure to visit their website at www.signad.com and tell them Backstage Pass Radio sent ya.
1: My guest today is a guitar prodigy and has toured the world with bands like Guns N' Roses, Asia, and Lita Ford. He has a new single out called Vilified with his band Art of Anarchy. So sit tight, and we will chat with a super cool and mega talented rock star, Ron Bumblefoot Fall, when we
0: return. This is Backstage Pass Radio, the podcast that's designed for the music junkie with a thirst for musical knowledge. Hi, this is Adam Gordon, and I want to thank you all for joining us today. Make sure you like, subscribe, and turn alerts on for this and all upcoming podcasts. And now, here's your host of Backstage Pass Radio, Randy Halsey.
1: Well, thanks to everyone for tuning in and joining us today. I have Ron joining us from New Jersey. Ron, what's going on, man? It's good to see you. I'm doing great, man. How about yourself? Doing all right. Good, good. Well, it's great to finally see you after a few text exchange prior to the, uh, the interview, but uh, glad you're here, and I'm looking forward to uh, sharing your story with the listeners of Backstage Pass Radio, and I, and I did want to give a quick shout-out to Rob Z uh, from the Killer Dwarfs camp for helping set this up, so what a great bunch of guys uh, Russ Dwarf and all those guys. Super cool guys, man.
2: They are the best. <laughs> are they doing a fortieth anniversary show um, right outside of Toronto And uh was it Oshawa? Yeah. Oshawa. I don't
1: know yeah. how to pronounce it. Well we we talked about November tenth. Okay, great, great, great. Well, we talked about that kind of prior to hitting the uh the record button above a bunch of Canada people we were talking about today. Yes, you got the killer Dwarf. I know, right? Well So you are, I guess, currently uh, a New Jersey boy by way of Brooklyn, New York. Am I correct there?
2: Correct. Grew up in the boroughs of New York City and just moved right over the the water to New
1: Jersey. When did you make that move? Uh, Was it as a young guy or later on in life? Talk to the listeners a little bit when the jump happened for you.
2: Mid-20s at that point. I had what was it? I had an apartment in Staten Island. that's one of the boroughs, and then to the east of it is Brooklyn. I had a studio there. And, and my wife had an apartment. We didn't get a house yet, so we still had our apartments, and she was in Jersey. So I was kind of bouncing back and forth. Then I got rid of my Staten Island place, and I would either sleep on the floor of the studio <laughs> in Brooklyn while working all night on albums and then drive home three, four in the morning, whenever, to Jersey, and
1: yeah. Well, there's a common denominator with some of these interviews that I do, and it always seems to be a female that brings somebody away from their home to another place, and that sounds kind of like what might have happened with you there, right? Always,
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> Men will never leave their couch, unless for a woman. Then they exactly. like, All
1: right, I'm going to go fly 25 hours to go see this person. Isn't that funny? It's an and instinctual thing, we move we move I think. Locate. That's what we do. That's we exactly locate. what we do. And it's been going on for hundreds of thousands of years now, I think. And I don't yes. think it's going to change anytime soon. Does
2: Og move to a different cave <laughs> to be with this
0: woman? <laughs>
1: Well, good for you, man. Well, listen, I mean, like, reading up on you and whatnot, who who haven't you played with? You, you've played with some of the big hitters in the industry, I guess. Was it about eight years with, with Guns N' Roses, and then what, you spent about three years uh, Asia and a little time with Lita Ford, right? How long were you working with Lita?
0: Oh,
2: such interesting stories, all right. Uh, yeah, there's been a lot of people I have... Jammed and played and done shows with more people than I could even remember. I mean, some of the standouts were like Nancy Sinatra, um, this guy, Alan Toussaint, this, this, uh, jazzy piano player, uh, Lita Ford. What happened with that? It was 2009 and taking a break for the summer. And suddenly, I get a phone call from her. She's on stage in Sweden. She just finished a show, and she's like, "What are you doing this summer?" I was like, "Actually, I'm off." What are you doing? He's like, "Well, I got a whole tour of, of the U.S. and some European uh, festivals, and I want to replace my whole band." It's like, "You sure you want to do that?" He's <laughs> like, "Well, I convinced her to keep the keyboard player. He was amazing, and and so it was starting in two days." So I had two days to learn 15 songs. I got the drummer from my solo band to join. Then we got uh, PJ Farley from Trickster and and a bunch of things. He's amazing. And and, uh, he joined on bass and we went out and hit the road for the summer and flew around Europe and hopped around the U.S. and... It was a lovely summer. Yes, yes, it was
1: less. Nice. Was, um, was this the Bobby Rock days or was this pre Bobby Rock? Like, do you, uh, playing drums? I don't remember when Bobby Rock joined Lita Ford. I
2: don't know. We're going to have to Google
1: that. Okay, I'm sure. Yeah, no worries. He was not the drummer being replaced. Okay. At that time, no. Well, I know he's currently with them, and he's, he's kind of a Houston success story where. I think you know he grew up in or kind of the same area that I'm from here in in the Cypress Texas area, and uh, the story is I think his sister Pam gave him a van and four hundred dollars to go to L.A. and audition for Vinnie Vincent right when Vinnie Vincent had left Kiss, and he wound up uh, you know hundreds of players out there auditioning. He wound up getting that gig, and you know so he was with Vinnie Vincent for a long time, but. I believe he's the current, yeah, he's the current drummer with Lita Ford right now. So,
2: well, good, good for him.
1: Yeah. It's, it's always cool to hear those types of stories, the success stories, the rags to riches, so to speak. You know, the, the, the garage band musician hitting the road with a, with a big, uh, couple of big acts there. So, Sons of Apollo, right? Is that a current... Educate me, right? Is that a current project for you? Is that a hiatus thing? Talk to me a little bit about Sons of Apollo.
2: Sons of Apollo is a band that started in 2017, and it consisted of Mike Pornoy on drums, Billy Sheehan on bass, Derek Sherinian on keyboards, and Jeff Scott Soto on vocals, and me on guitar. We did... Uh we wrote in the album, we banged it out and did that and put out the album The End of 2017, toured all over the place throughout 2018, North America, South America, Asia, Europe, everywhere. And then 2019 we started writing the next album. We put it out in early 2020. We also in 2018 we put out a live uh, video and album of this ancient amphitheater that we played in with an orchestra and a choir. It was amazing. And then 2020, we put out album number two and we started touring, but the world had a different plan. <laughs> sure did. Four shows in. And then the whole world was shutting down and had to throw us stuff in storage and get right back to the U.S. before while well, we still could. And we got there and maybe a week later, everything was shut down and, and that was it. We did uh, one makeup tour in South America from that period that we hold oh, the promoter uh, last year. And that's it.
1: So, nothing and after I that then Dream for theater. And the
2: yeah. band has splintered off where I've been doing work with Derek and doing work with Jeff. And Jeff is now the singer of the band Art of Anarchy, which mm-hmm. has quite a story to it.
1: Yeah. Well, and certainly I want to chat about that. And it was interesting that you say that about uh, Sons of Apollo. Do you feel like that band would have been a band that would have stuck? That would have been your primary focus and you guys just would have done everything together? Or was that kind of a side project? And the reason I ask that question is because I've had... Quite a few guests on my show, a couple come to mind, like Michael Sweet of Striper, you know, he went out and did the iconic thing, uh, Joel Hoekstra, kind of the same thing, and then um, Matt Starr, the drummer for Ace Fraley, was on my show, and he did the Black Swan thing with Robin McCauley and Jeff Pilsen from Foreigner. So was Sons... Kind of was the idea to be a full-time longevity type band, or was it just a one or two and done kind of project for you? Have you been thinking that you may need a little exercise in your daily routine while having a little fun doing it? I may have the solution. Hey, it's Randy Holsey here with Backstage Pass Radio. And about six months ago, I purchased an electric bike from Ecotrick and just thought about using it as a way to kind of get the blood flowing a few days a week. And to my surprise, I find myself on the bike just about every day. Not only am I getting a little exercise each day, but I'm also having a fun time seeing the neighborhood and maybe some areas that I probably would never have seen before I got the bike. Today, my family owns four of these EcoTrick bikes and we're looking to add a few more soon. Make sure to check out the link in the description below for more details.
2: Originally, when Mike reached out to me, uh, he was like, hey, you know how we always talked about putting a band together? Well, I got this idea, and it sounded more like it was just going to be a one-and-done, like we make an album together and then do a little bit of touring. But it grew into something much more. And for most of us, it became our intention to have that be the primary band that was our band. And we all wrote everything and did everything from the ground up. We're all founding members. We're all creative pieces to that band, but
1: things go the way they go. Of course. And
2: yeah. So I'm glad we at least got to do what we did.
1: Yeah. Well, the mindset, it sounds like it was going to be a long haul kind of thing for you guys. Uh, But of course, like you said, the world had completely opposite plans for everybody, not just you guys, but for everybody, right? And it was such a sad time because a lot of the the local musicians here that are great friends of mine, you know, couldn't even make a living and it was a sad, it was a sad time and and probably, you know, you guys as well that relied on music uh, for for that living for that income because all the places where you could play music were shut down. So, yeah. But for um, me, it's
2: not just about going out and playing shows, that's a small part of it. Most of what I do is producing bands and mixing albums and making my own music and teaching, lots of producing. And, and with that, that actually, you know, being off the road. Picked up, right? It's good. Yeah. So it's like when you're on the road, you can play shows, and that's pretty much all you can do. Of course. When you're off the road, you can do everything else in your life.
1: Yes for sure and i want to chat more about some of the things you just talked about but quickly i want to chat about art of anarchy share with the listeners what this current lineup looks like for art of anarchy
2: well if you want i can give you the quick history of the band it goes back about 25 years and it's these twin brothers john and vince boda they play guitar and drums and I used to record their bands when they were teenagers 25 years ago and and we always stayed friends great dudes, great family 2011 they told me that they wanted to make their dream album that they never got to make and the idea was they had these 10 songs that they wrote guitar and drums for they come into my studio, record them uh, I can add guitar if I want and finish up the songs and then get different singers as guests For different songs and just treat it more like this musical project where they get to just collaborate with their favorite musicians their favorite singers favorite people that was the idea and the first person that said yes was scott Wilde. and he did a song called till the dust is gone Uh, we did a nice video for it everything and after that after he did the one song uh, his manager said to us, why don't we make this a band? Let's make this a band. Scott Lowe will do the entire album and this will be uh, a real thing. And we got John Moyer on bass and we all signed our band agreement and with all you know the legalities, of, this is how the royalties are split and this right. is that and this is what we're going to do and this is how we'll promote and all that stuff. It was a real band, legally and in every way. And we finished the album. Scott did the album in about a month. He would just write and write and record and send me stuff uh, that he would record himself and, and banged it out and did great. So it was done. And we got the album out in 2015. And to our surprise, Scott publicly kind of quit the band four hours later. And yeah, and this is after the night before we were all going back and forth on, you know, approving the bio and making changes saying, oh, let's use the red logo instead of the black logo for the YouTube blurb. Oh, Scott said, let's just use two songs instead of four uh, on that. And not give too much away, like all the little stuff that a band does right before a big announcement. Yeah. And we do the announcement. And then a few hours later, after it's really getting a lot of hype, it's spreading. He says, you know, I wish the luck finding a new singer. We were in the middle of negotiating with the record label, and it just, it killed,
1: you know, it killed the band. So no idea that was coming at all, right? No indications? No. Like,
2: Like there were some issues before that that got ironed out, and he was on board, and, and even signed legal stuff saying he was on board. So, yeah. So we put out the album. And then it was like, well, what do we do? Do we get another singer or do we just stop here? And our manager said, I think I got singer number two for you. And we ended up with another Scott. (laughs) And and that was even more turbulent behind the scenes. And and every white hair in my beard, half of them were from that. And in the end, we, we put out a second album in 2017. And we got to do a few shows, but it was kind of the same issues of not everybody being on board and some people being rather credibly destructive. And again, it didn't work out. So, all right, what do we do? Do we hang this up? Yeah, let's hang it up for a while and just let things smooth out how they're going to. And, and then the end of 2019, John, the guitar player, gets sick. They can't figure out what it is. They don't have a diagnosis, but he's slowly dying. He's going blind. He's choking and can't breathe in the middle of the night. He has no energy, has no immune system. He was slowly dying and doctors could not figure out what it was. And all he could do was lie in bed with a guitar in his hand and watch movies. And that's what he was doing for months. And one of the movies that kept him sane and distracted was the Joker movie. And he would watch it over and over and he would play guitar to the movie and slowly started turning into definite things that he would play as he watched the movie. It was like he was writing songs to the movie slowly. And the first opening scene of that movie and the first thing he wrote was the first thing after they figured out what was wrong and started giving him treatment. And over six months later, when he was well enough, like the second half of 2020, he came over and said he wanted to record some ideas that came from that song. And that is the song Vilified. Wow. So the music to Vilified happened from him nearly dying. And just playing guitar to the song, to the movie, The Joker. Okay. Over and over. Of course. And that's what revived the band. That's what resurrected it. And every Friday, John and Vince would come over and we would come up with a new song idea. And by that night... It would be done and we would walk out of here with a song done. And we did that for the rest of the year and ended up with two albums worth of music. And during that time, Jeff of Sons of Apollo, Jeff Scott Soto, the singer, said to me, you know, you should have just had me sing and you never would have had any of these personnel issues with Art of Anarchy. You should have just had me be the singer. So I mentioned it to the voter brothers. Said, you know, Jeff kind of offered himself to be singer number three. And they said, absolutely. He's a wonderful guy. You know, they know from me, you know, just how great he is to work with. And they know from past 40 years of how incredible his voice is. Sure. What a great singer he is. Another
1: Scott, too. It's
2: like if he offered himself, he's in, no questions asked. Boom. Now we have a singer. So he started taking these pieces of music we were writing and started coming up with ideas and, and lyrics and melodies and did his thing, did yeah. what he does, turned them into songs Very and cool. give him a piece of music. Hey, what could we just make? I was like, cool. And then he'd be like, ah, it makes me feel like this. It gives me this idea. It gives me this vibe. This is what I'm going to write about. And he would bang out a song. Wow. Beautiful. Done. And then we chose from a bunch of them, said, this will be album number three. Order the songs and everything. And and for all the albums, I did all the mixing, production, everything. And we finished up album number three. And then we spoke with our longtime video director, Dale Rage Restigini, who's been there from the very beginning making our videos, and he's a great friend. Uh, talked about doing videos and everything, and and we started shooting videos, and we spoke with, on his recommendation, the record label, Pavement. And they took us on board, and they are a fantastic company They're We just have a great team now. We finally, after two strikes, we finally have a team where everybody is on board. The label is competent, the band is not self destructive. John Moyer, our longtime bass player, uh, chose not to continue. So we had to get a new bassist. Okay. So Jeff said, Well, my bassist, take my bass player, Tony Dickinson. I played with him in Soto for years. We're both in Trans Siberian Orchestra. He's on Mike Mangini's new album that just came out, and he's great. And the guy is fantastic. So at that point, music was done. So I just said, hey, do you want to lay bass on this? Like, sure. A week later, bass is done. It sounds incredible. Wow. There we go. Wow. Good. So now we're back. We're a band. And yeah, we did the song Vilified, the very first song that pretty much kept John Voda sane. And it's the first song we wrote and recorded bringing back this band And we made it the first single because of all of that. And that's why there's so many references to the Joker in the video and in the song. Like we shot the video on the same big staircase that the Joker movie was shot on the same location. Okay. Yeah. It's not any fakery. Like we were there. We got the permits and went up to the Bronx and set up a drum set on the stairs of, (laughs) of this big stairway. And that's why the, uh, those news broadcasts, those were real news broadcasts where the media was trying to create hysteria and stupidity over the movie coming out. Where they're like, oh, it's going to lead to real-world violence. Well, we took those news broadcasts, and then we gave them to Jeff Tate, Queen's, no, Queens Rocket, Rock, yeah. sure, and he resaid all of them. So it's Jeff Tate's voice oh, throughout the song no. saying these, what were real news broadcasts Very scattered cool. around the song. So that's another little thing about the yeah. song referencing the Joker, but something cool. I haven't Jeff Tate, that voice. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, this was one of the reasons why I spun up uh, backstage pass radio back in February of 21 coming out of COVID right. Is because like you, I'm a musician and I love the stories behind the song. I've always been the liner notes junkie. When I buy a record, liner notes is the first thing i get into before i even listen to the music and i always love that so to hear the backstory behind the joker i didn't get the reference like great video like but what does the joker have to do with this and here you're telling us so i, I love that and then the, the whole backstory with jeff tate who one of my favorite vocalists you know queens Reich, love all the queens Reich stuff and then you mentioned of course um Jeff Scott Soto from my, I guess he spent some time with uh in Joel Ho- Hoekstras 13 with him and Journey yeah, for a while, so right? Joel, so, Joel's yeah, a good
0: friend of mine. I love that yeah, guy so He's much. a great
1: guy. I caught him on the road. I did my interview with Joel when he was in Birmingham, England, and spent a little time with him. A great guy that he came to me by way of Michael Sweet from Striper, who we spoke of a little bit earlier. But it's funny how all you guys are are kind of People connected and yes, <laughs>
0: it's
2: a big web and everyone's connected right uh, exactly Joel and Jeff did stuff together I've done stuff with Joel uh, I brought Joel in on this, this festival that was happening in 2016 in Romania that a friend of mine put together and Joel played Tosin Abasi uh, yeah it was, it was just so much fun and Joel, we have this text, this uh, not text, this email thread with a whole bunch of guitar players, and and Joel and I are part of it, and and we just send each other stupid stuff every day.
1: It's just a bunch of mediocre guitarists talking to one another, right, Ron? Just mediocre it's never guys. about guitar. <laughs> It's always
2: right. about just something else, right? Band.
1: Yeah, yeah. I say that totally tongue in cheek, but um, I, I was going to ask you about. John's illness. Now, was the diagnosis, was this a public thing? Did this so, I didn't know if you were able to talk about, you know, what they found out was wrong with him. It was kind of like a cliffhanger there, but if, if it's not public and it's private, I totally understand that, right? It's it's
2: nothing embarrassing or bad. Sure. It's just, you know, he told me a long time ago, I was like, I don't want too much of my, my, Health information I, being played out there.
1: Yeah, I didn't know if it's something that went yeah. out like in like all corners of the world or something. You know, a lot of times that happens. And uh, yeah, of course, course I didn't to do with
2: penile warts or anything <laughs> like that, or
1: or, or know, reductions or uh, nothing no, like what's, that. Right what was <laughs> really messed up about
2: it is that when they finally figured out what this odd, rare, unusual thing was, and he had to get treatment, and he had to get to a hospital. The hospitals were full because of COVID. Oh yeah. He couldn't even get in to get it. And if when he finally did get to the hospital, it was a situation where if he did catch COVID from anyone, he was dead. He would not have survived you know
1: anything. That whole immune thing, like yeah.
2: Yeah, so he was definitely he was living a good chunk just worried about Not dying. Of course. That changes a person. It does. It changes your perspective. It changes everything.
1: Well, you think about that, you know, he's at home with whatever it was thinking that, oh my gosh, I'm close to death or I'm going to die or whatever was going through his head. And man, just think of how many people were dying because of COVID, right? You know, that first, just people were sick, sick, sick. And it was just a, it was a rotten time, but I don't want to Stay on that too long But I did, you know, you talked about Vilified And I did want to share a short clip It is the first single from the third record Called Let There Be Anarchy And this is a song called Vilified Let's treat the listeners to that clip, Ron And then we'll come back and chat about the song and the record What do you say? Yeah I love that song, man. Heavy, but great melodic tilt to it. Good stuff. Thank you. Thank you.
2: This album is definitely darker than the last one. Yeah. And it's less formulaic. It's very unfiltered. I like it. It's similar to the first album, musically, where there were no boundaries. There were no limits. It's just, we're going to write whatever we
1: want. Sure. And where was the record uh, recorded at? Did you guys do like tracks or right in that room there? Okay.
2: Yeah. The rug behind me, the drums were set up on th- there for like a year and a half. And we were just sit in this chair and that chair over there. And, and that's where we would record. And Jeff would do his vocals in his own place. He has his own okay. singing room. I got you. The, uh, the other coast. And he would just send me stuff.
1: You mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I wanted to talk about it in a little more detail. But the songwriting efforts in Art of Anarchy, it's it's really, it sounds like a collaborative effort with you guys, right? It's not like some bands where it's just one guy that writes the songs and everybody records. It's a democracy, so to speak, right? It is. Very cool.
2: Uh, John and Vince, they do a lot of writing. They're just quick. And whatever they do musically, Jeff writes his own thing to it. And while I'm here with John and Vince, I'll come up with ideas. And sometimes I'll have a song idea. So I have a a few. It's almost like, figure, John and Vince are the John and Paul and I'm the George. Okay. Where
1: I have not as many songs. You look a little like him, too, now now that I'm thinking about it. I'm like his ugly b <laughs> The ugly kid brother, the, the ugly step brother. <laughs> well, we've all been that uh, in the past. Well, while we're talking about that video vilified, Ron, what is the tie with the Cuba Gooding Jr. in the video? I was trying to understand the reference. I'm, I'm assuming that's a movie he was in. What's the connection there?
2: Um, that's uh, like a mini movie made for the video, written and directed by Dale, our video director. And how it ties in is that the movie, the song, you know, it's about you know, there's a lot about mental illness and the lack of treatment for it. Okay. And how people are just treated like monsters instead of being understood sometimes some situations i mean the hell there's situations where people are fucking monsters yeah Uh, but very often someone is just struggling and instead of getting the care they're just being kicked while they're down vilified yeah so it led to the story about a veteran with ptsd that's at his lowest point and he's at, at his bottom. Again. And he's armed in his house. Police want to get in there. They're armed as well. And it's about to get ugly. His daughter, his young daughter, breaks through the barricades and gets in, runs up to the house. They see each other and it just brings them back to reality in the right of place and, and the good things. So, so even on the YouTube description, the first thing we say is if you're suffering, here's a number to call.
1: Sure. Well, so, so it sounds like that short film was done specifically for your song then. Correct.
2: It was, it was a, like a mini movie wow. made Very for
1: cool. the song. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. And, you know, I, I've read through your story and I know that, you, and I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole here, but it it kind of piggybacks on what you were just saying about mental illness, depression, anxiety, that kind of thing. We've all been through that. And I've had so many wonderful guests on this show. And it's amazing how you see this facade that, oh, this musician there, they live the, the great life. They're in front of people and people love them, but they don't know they're humans at the end of the day, and we all have these challenges, including me. I was a an anxiety and depression sufferer for a long time, and I've always oh, opened club, it. Yes. yeah, I've always opened it up on my show to to make that public service announcement that says, my phone is always on i'm I'm not a hard guy to find on the internet, right uh, if If somebody needs to talk about those kind of things, call me, let's talk. But so many times, like you said, you know that people are vilified. It's like, wow, they're weird. There's something wrong with them because it's people that don't understand those diseases and what they're going through. But there is treatment. There is light at the end of the tunnel for those things. So I don't know if you wanted to piggyback on that, but yeah, uh, no, absolutely. You you nailed it. Yeah,
2: and. No one else's life is as simple as we make it out to be.
1: Oh, I agree.
2: Everybody else, their life is not simple. And, and we tend to simplify and just be like, oh, they're this and they're that. And there's so many deep layers to every human being. Sure. And I think that's sometimes a mistake that's made is that you can look at someone and be like,
1: oh, they have everything. No, there's always, <laughs> that's there's, not the case at all. There's always you know, you something could, missing. I you know. mean,
2: look—you could look at some teenage kid and say, "Oh, you know, look at this girl. She's beautiful. She's got a nice family. She's got this. And, and why did she kill herself?"
1: Yeah. You know, it's, something missing. Because there's so
2: many other layers that she's hiding, and just keeping buried, and just not sharing. Because most of the time, people that are hurting. They don't want to share the hurt no. because they don't want other people to feel bad. So yeah. they just live with it. They bury it. It's of festering course. in them. And this is a point where you should be talking to somebody yep. to get the help because everybody needs help with something at some point in their life as part of being human, 10%. Just- one Person and no one
1: else. I are all I,
2: here for each other.
1: I agree, and there's a healing and talk therapy, right? I think just going in a room and shutting the door is not the solution to anything. You have to talk about those things, and I think that people largely do that because they don't want to feel humiliated or judged. And sure. it's it you have to understand that life throws curveballs sometimes, and that's okay. It's how you persevere, I believe, is what makes your character at the end of the day. So anyway, again, we could go down a whole rabbit hole with that. But it's important that, you know, if there's listeners out there on my show that are struggling with these types of things, then uh, my my phone is readily available out on the Internet and uh, I'm willing to chat with you. And uh, thanks for sharing your story there, too, Ron. For the listeners, uh, you guys can go out. Uh, to the Art of Anarchy YouTube channel and check out the video that Ron and I are talking about and make sure to subscribe and do all the things that they say on YouTube like share subscribe hit the like the ding dong bell do all of those things right Ron <laughs> that's my PSA for for the uh, the, ding the, dong bell. the ding dong bell the reminders what you know so anyway yeah you guys make sure you subscribe to the Art of Anarchy uh, YouTube channel and, you know, since we're kind of on the whole video thing, tell me a little bit about this double neck guitar that you're playing in the video. Uh, you, just to, you just happen to have it sitting right there, always ready in to go. Reach. Always, always. Talk to the, Ah. and and the listeners, of course, can't see this, but I'll post a picture. uh, And if they watch the video, they'll certainly see this guitar. But talk a little bit about the guitar, because the top piece is is fretless for those that don't play guitar. So I'd like to know kind of the backstory of this uh, cool instrument here, man.
2: Yeah, it's made by a company called Vigier, V-I-G-I-E-R. Uh, They're based out of France. as a boutique company. They put a lot of time and care into every guitar they make, and they feel and sound wonderful. So I've been playing their stuff since uh, 1997. Wow. And, yeah, they're great. So we have our own signature Bumblefoot model, and they were making fretless guitars before I even you know, hooked up with them or anything like that. And I would play Fretted or the Fretless, and I was doing so much fretless playing that I felt like I needed to either play a whole song on fretless or not. And I was usually doing half and half in a song, like I'd do some fretless, some fretted. So I really needed a way to access a Fretted and a fretless guitar at once. So, the best solution was a double neck. So, they made this double neck, and now this is my other kind of signature model double neck fretted fretless break-your-back-weighs-10-billion-pounds guitar (laughs) with a metal fretboard or just metal surface on top, and playing on a fretless, it's like playing slide guitar. Okay. Or you could say it's like playing a cello. Something where it doesn't have the speed bumps that give you the accurate, precise notes the way a piano has keys. Sure. That's like a guitar. It has precise, you know, just goes from where on a fretless, you just slime, you have everything in between. Okay. So with that, you can make it move the way a voice moves. A little more like that. Sure. And then everything just drags and connects and I like it.
1: Where did you stumble across these guys? Did, did they offer up a guitar to you? Is that where you heard about them? Like talk to the listeners a little bit about the, the connection with uh, you said VGA, right?
2: Yeah, I would build my own guitars. Okay. And I was doing a tour in 97 going through France doing guitar clinics and I had my Swiss cheese guitar, which was an old early 80s Ibanez that I tore apart and put holes in it and put in a bunch of DeMarzio pickups and painted it yellow and it looked like a chunk of Swiss cheese (laughs) so that was my main guitar that I would play and I was doing one of these guitar clinic things, performances and there was a guy there with a guitar in a case and he said to me I represent Vigier Guitars and I would love for you to try the guitar. And I said, I'm not looking for a guitar endorsement. I make my own stuff. And he's like, just try it. He's like, no, try it. No, try it. No. Okay. So I tried it and the thing undeniably played so much better than my own guitar. He's like, you know what? Maybe I should leave guitar building to the professionals that know what they're doing. And I met with Patrice, the owner of the company, and he was just the sweetest guy, such a nice guy and we talked about some of the things that that I was looking for in a guitar which is self expression not just playing a standard guitar that's just every other guitar when i built my own guitars it's because that was an artistic outlet also of course that i didn't want to lose so they were great with that they said well we'll make the strangest guitars you want no problem and they made one that was a bumblefoot guitar. It was like a giant foot, like a Monty Python looking foot with black and yellow stripes and these wings that would pop out of the sides when you bent down the vibrato bar. It was incredible. And it sounded great. And they would do stuff like that for me. They really, they're a wonderful company. And. Yeah, I've been with them ever since. And it's the main thing. It's pretty much the only guitars that I play. And for Art of Anarchy and Sons of Apollo and my own music and everything, it's this double neck guitar that I pretty much need to pull it all off because all the songs that I write and I play, they're half dragging on these low fretless things and half fretted and different tunings on one than the other. Okay. So... I kind of need this guitar to play the songs that i write
1: is the uh, fretless is it a whole step down is that how you have it tuned is it standard tune just a whole step down or half usually
2: it's standard tuning except for the sixth string is tuned down two and a half steps to a low b, b. okay almost like a seventh string of a seven string guitar
1: yeah and when you're playing that guitar is most of the rhythm done on the fretted portion of the guitar? Are you interchange? Both. Like, there's... Okay, yeah, all right. No, so there's... Is on the fretless, it's both. Okay, so there's no... I mean, there, of course, in your mind, there's rhyme or reason, but you can play lead on either. You can play rhythm on either, right? I do,
2: yes. So if you listen to Sons of Apollo and Ardegadry stuff, you will hear solos and rhythms that are on both. Yeah.
1: Is guitar playing as a young kid? Is that all you wanted to do growing up? When did you get into the guitar? When did it hit I was you?
2: five years old and turning six, the Kiss Alive album just came out. I heard that album and that was the life changer. I was like, this is what I want to do. And at the age of six, I had a band together with an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old and we would write songs and make recordings. We figured out how to overdub using multiple cassette recorders where we would record on one then have that one play back and record onto another while we played more or or sang to overdub and and things like that and just never stopped. So I started then and continued, never stopped. I would cut up uh, pieces of paper and make my own confetti, put in little cups for shows that we would do in our basement or our backyard or the school we went to so that everyone could throw confetti in the air in the last song, things like that. You
1: already Whatever. knew you were going to be a rock star when you were six or seven years old then. I mean, that's what I was you're just telling me. doing the me. kid
2: version of it, just yeah. doing what my idols were doing. Sure. In a way, just using what I had access to well, you, what was possible for a kid.
1: Yeah. Well, you couldn't grow up in the boroughs of New York and not be a KISS fan, could you? I mean, that would be, you can't do that. You have to be a KISS fan, right? If you live, if you're from New York. No, yep, they were
2: the reason that I wanted to get on stage and be in a band. Like the Beatles made me love music and production and just everything you could do in a studio and, and being creative with songs but his kiss that made me want to get on stage and spit blood and breathe fire and have a smoking guitar and everything. Yeah.
1: Who were like defining the guitar heroes for you growing up at that young age? What couple of guitars stood out to you as a, as a, you know, a nine-year-old or maybe an early teenager at the time?
2: When I was young, it wasn't even about guitar players. It was about bands and songs. And I had bands that I loved, and I didn't even want to be a guitarist when I started. I wanted to be a drummer, but my brother wanted to be a drummer, and he was older, so he got to be the drummer. So I wanted to be a bassist, but I was too young, too little, couldn't handle a bass, so I got stuck with guitar. And I think the first... I mean, I just loved all the, you know, all the same names that everyone mentions from the sixties and seventies. Uh, it was hearing Eddie Van Halen, and that's what sort of changed it for me and st- I started looking at the guitar differently, saying, all right, this is more than just a tool for a song. Uh, this is a whole second voice in the band. This is an expressive voice that you can get so creative with. And you don't just have to play where you strum the strings and fret the notes. There's so much more you can do with a string. And I started really exploring and doing things like that thimble thing where I keep a a thimble
1: on. It's magnetized, right? A magnetized thimble and
2: a magnetized hole here that I keep here that I touch to the string to get an extension of the notes beyond the fretboard. So little things like that that I started doing to just see just I was exploring it's like Eddie Van Halen gave permission to the whole world to explore what you can do with strings not just with a guitar but with the strings because the guitar is just your assistant yeah. to doing things with the string but how much more can you do with the string
1: is there anybody else on the planet that puts a thimble on their finger to play with that you know of now there is. Now there's there is, but
2: Astro and there, there's other guitar players
1: uh, now. Okay. But thirty five years ago, where did that come from? Like, I mean, I'm like, I, I'm th- trying to get inside your head a little bit. Like, like, why a thimble? Why not a uh, a, a damn coffee cup? Like,
2: I, I mean, I'm just well, because picking I needed something that I can quickly access without having to. Okay uh stop playing where i could hang on to the pick but still use something Ah, that i can touch to the string instead of touching the string to a metal fret something metal i could touch to the string beyond the fretboard and it just after trying lots of different things i used to have a nine volt battery on a rubber band nailed to the bottom horn of the guitar that i would grab and play but even that wasn't quick enough and accessible enough. You have to grab it and reach for it. But when you have something, when you basically have a metal fingertip, that opens up a lot of stuff.
1: You're an innovator, man. I dig that. That's really cool. And your story is cool too. You know, when you say, you, you know, I had a brother and, you know, I was the drummer and he was the this, and we flipped that. It's, it's the Eddie, Van, Eddie and Alex story, right? And I just had... A super cool cat. Um, and, and I think you guys have shrapnel records ties to Mike Varney, but uh, Scott Little Billman was just on my show uh, last week. And yeah, um, and he. What a talented he, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And it was his story is the same where he was the guitar player and his brother was the drummer and they flipped and now he's the drummer. And. Yes, yeah, becoming a very common story with siblings is what I'm what I'm understanding yeah. as I as, as these that, shows go on and that. on and yeah, on. Right? John
2: and Vince, guitarist and drummer. Absolutely. Two brothers, twin brothers, and play together all their lives, and they're just locked in like one entity, totally. Yeah.
0: Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Backstage Pass Radio. Make sure to follow Randy on Facebook and Instagram at Randy Halsey Music. And on Twitter at R Halsey Music. Also make sure to like, subscribe, and turn on alerts for upcoming podcasts. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure to share the link with a friend and tell them Backstage Pass Radio is the best show on the web for everything music. We'll see you next time right here on Backstage Pass Radio.